0: you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I know some of you are new to the faith, and every time at the word Acts is said, you probably think A-X-E, and uh, that's not the case. The Bible is, has an Old Testament part and a New Testament part, and after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, then uh, we come to the book of Acts, A C T S. Acts of the Apostles, and uh, we're in chapter 2 today, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin with verse 36. So allow me to read the passage, and then please keep your devices or your Bibles open uh, so that we can unpack and see what God is saying to us. We are talking about the church the last couple of weeks. Um, We uh, started this series on um, the church, and we're calling today's message, What Shall We Do? What Shall We Do? So, Acts 2, verse 36 through verse 41. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you And for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls." God, do it again, right? God, do it again. 3,000 souls all at one time. Um, I was thinking about the caterpillar. The caterpillar is worm, fuzzy worm, that eventually crawls into a tree or with a plant, and he makes a cocoon. It's his tomb to bury in almost. And so he crawls along the ground, however long he's a caterpillar, and then he comes into this cocoon. And it being a cocoon may go from four to ten days uh, in the midst of that. And then he works himself out of the cocoon, and he uh, is a butterfly, right? He's transformed from, uh, they call it metamorphosis, from the fuzzy little worm into a beautiful butterfly. But at that point, I was thinking, you know, the butterfly, a.k.a. caterpillar, used to be, he has to make a decision. Is he gonna continue to crawl along the ground and eat leaves and be like the caterpillar, or is he going to embrace his new identity and become the beautiful butterfly that he was meant to be, to fly above those things. And we see today, when it comes to the church in America and Central, I have to ask myself, are we not tempted to be caterpillar Christians instead of butterfly Christians? And what I mean by that is we've come to that point, just like the caterpillar, we've had this tomb, we break through because of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he has forgiven us, and we come to that relationship with him, but we still choose to live as a caterpillar instead of going to the next level and living the spirit-filled life that we're called to be. And what happens with that is when we read the things of the New Testament, especially, and Jesus said, you will do greater things, and we start seeing, oh, we're not seeing these things. God, 3,000 souls, can you still do that today? How about 10 souls? How about one soul this morning? I mean, God, are you still in the business of doing that? And he says, yes, I am, but I'm having to deal with Caterpillar Christians instead of butterfly Christians, and what we what ends up happening is we start running the church in the flesh instead of in the spirit, and, and what happens is, is we get the things of the flesh. Yes, it's a good organization. Yes, it's doing good things. Yes, we can say all of these things. We're coming together. Yes, we love one another, but are we seeing the things of Jesus in our midst? And I've just been dwelling on that and and when we look at the book of acts in the scriptures we see a lot of things and we're thinking oh god renew them in our day let me give you a little background on this passage and uh then we're going to unpack this a little bit in the book of acts we begins with jesus as he rose from the dead he calls his disciples to him And he gives them instructions to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then what he does is he uh, ascends right in their midst and he goes to the right hand of the Father. Now, the disciples go and they begin to wait and they begin to pray. One of the things they do is they select a disciple, apostle, to take Uh, judas place matthias comes on and so they begin to pray and they their group increases and then the next thing you know there's 120 of them meeting in an upper room and they're praying and the midst of their prayer the holy spirit comes in power god pours himself out and he comes upon the people not only upon them but in them and there's transformation all of a sudden that takes place. I mean, new creations, all of a sudden they're different and they're changed. And, and uh, what happens is, is the demonstra- demonstration of the uh, power of the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Well, you can imagine a, a crowd shows up, 3,000 plus in this crowd. And they all of a sudden show up to see this thing that has happened. And Peter, Simon Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus, who always seems to be the spokesman, he stands and begins to address this crowd. And as he's addressing this crowd, he talks about certain things. And uh, the first thing that I want you to, to write down is the facts. The facts. Because what Peter does is he starts laying out the facts of who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and he's explaining this current event that's happening right before their eyes, and it was a prophecy of Joel that's being fulfilled, and he gives the facts. He gives the facts of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, as and ascension. He's laying out the facts. He lets the people know this fact as well. That Jesus, notice what he says. You crucified. You killed him. Now, that's, that's strong words. And we see that he goes on to share the fact that this Jesus whom you killed has now risen from the dead, and he is alive today. Now, imagine that. Imagine that you, uh, that in fact, this uh, group of 3,000, you know that many of them, 50 days earlier, was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And so Peter is addressing them right at that point. You crucified him. You killed him. Jesus is not a myth or a fable. He's not something that people made up. He was historical. The facts are laid out because if someone shares an opinion, I think Jesus was this. I think this. I think this. And they give an opinion. Well, your opinion is as strong as their opinion. You don't have to respond in an opinion. But if somebody lays out facts, you're responsible for the facts. How are you going to deal with these facts? You see, today we want to talk about Jesus as a good teacher or Jesus was this or Jesus was that. I want you to know it's a fact that Jesus died and he rose from the dead. And so people have to deal with that fact. And you're saying, Mark, maybe that's your opinion. Listen, a lot of people smarter than me who didn't believe in Christ set out to disprove the resurrection, and they couldn't do it, and now they're followers of Jesus. So I want you to know it is a fact. And you're thinking, well, somebody will say, well, I I, I just don't think that Jesus was everything and and this kind of... Well, what are you going to do about the resurrection? Whether you agree with his teaching or not, what are you going to do with the resurrection? You've got to do something with it. You've got to respond. You can agree to disagree with an opinion, but when facts are represented, you have to respond. You either embrace the facts and respond with change, or you reject the truth and continue your current course. Many of you know the story of the the battleship that's out in the ocean and it's going along and it sees a light out in the distance and there's a direct course that they're going to hit. And so the the ship calls in and says, uh, "You need to change your degrees so much to the starboard side." And uh, and they 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 come back and say, no, you need to go so many degrees to the port side. And uh, they're thinking, okay, this is a a battleship. So the admiral gets involved and says, "Uh, you may not understand, but I'm the admiral of the ship. And the guy responds back, I'm a seaman first class here. And uh, the admiral is now fully angry. And he says this, Do you understand that we're a battleship and we can take you out of the water? And the seaman uh, responds back, Do you understand that I'm a lighthouse? You see, the deal is the lighthouse is stationary and the battleship was transient and it could change. Let me tell you, truth does not change. The truth is... That Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and the facts remain, if all else is true, he is going to return one day. So you have to deal with the facts. You see, so often we think Christianity is a feeling religion. We think it's feel. If I can just get you to feel a certain way, if I can get you to have the tingles or the jollies or emotional high, then I've been successful. Let me tell you, that's not it. The facts, you have to respond to the facts. Everybody has to respond to the facts. So Peter lays out the facts. The second thing I want you to write down is this, the conviction, the conviction Notice in verse 37, he says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Well, what does that mean, they were cut to the heart? The literal word is a stinging, a, a, a pain almost that comes upon them because they understand that their sin killed Jesus. Uh, another interpreter, interpretation of the original Greek word was a horse that's stomping the ground, you know, just fa- uh, faunching at the bit to, to go, and uh, that, that is the picture as well. In other words, something needs to happen. I, we're cut to the heart here, and I, I look at it this way. Imagine that you killed somebody, okay, uh, far-fetched, but you killed somebody, and they were buried and you had gone to their funeral, and you know that they're dead. And then somebody shows up and said, hey, that man you killed, he's now alive. And all of a sudden, you've got to understand, I cannot get rid of him. He's more powerful than me, and chances are he's going to come, and vengeance is going to be his. And so there's an incredible cut to the heart That these people are facing. And they are understanding. That their sin. Their sin. Put Jesus on the cross. Now let me get personal. Our sin. Put Jesus on the cross. Your sin. Put Jesus on the cross. If you would have been the only person. That ever lived. You need to hear this. Jesus would have had to go to the cross just for you. And he went for all of us. The conviction was there. Our sin placed Jesus on the cross. And so the ultimate question that they ask is, hey, brothers, what must we do? They're panic-stricken. we got to do something. And Peter responds this. He says, number one, you need to repent. You need to repent. We talk about this a lot. Jesus' message was repent. John the Baptist was repent. It's a you have to make a choice. You need to change the direction that you're going. Siri's telling you to recalculate. You need to recalculate. You need to shift back onto the path because you've diverted and you've gone off. You need to realize that your sin is taking you away from the Father instead of to the Father, and you need to repent. You need to repent. And then second of all, he says, and be baptized. Now, are you saying, Mark, that baptism is part of salvation? No, I am not saying that. And I, here, I want you to understand a rule of hermeneutics. You cannot let a verse dictate what everything else in the scriptures is, is bringing about. In other words, you've got to measure that scripture against all the other scripture that is there. And so what Peter is saying, because listen, salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, okay? Uh, you can be married and not have a wedding, You can be saved and not be baptized. However, Peter is saying you need to repent and be baptized. Well, what is baptism? We're going to be baptizing next week. We're going to have water baptism right up here. And and, uh, some of you in this room need to follow the Lord in water baptism. And you're thinking, well, why is that? Well, let me give you a good reason. Number one is there are no undercover secret agents in the kingdom. Many say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I, I just i am not into the public uh, part of it and this kind of thing. I'm, I'm just a secret Christian. No, that's not possible. There's not a separation from the sacred and the secular. You're one person and Jesus came to die for you. So, baptism is a outward display of a public, uh, excuse me, a public display of an inward decision that you have made. And so if you have come to the point of following Jesus, and you're hesitant to let other people know about that, Peter would instruct you, it's time. It's time. I am here to instruct you today that it is time. Another thing about baptism it's a step of obedience. You walk in obedience. Okay, God, I, I've translated uh, your scripture here. It says that you are Lord and Christ, Lord being owner. And so I want to follow you and I want to walk in obedience. And then fourthly, it is identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why... We immerse, and some of you think, well, Mark, I was sprinkled or whatever, and, and you just got to know what we practice here. Two things that I want you to make aware of, we, we do not infant baptize, we believers baptize. We believe it's a step of obedience for the believer to be water baptized. Secondly, you notice that we're in the water, and the water is this. We identify with the death, burial, and resurrection. This is you. You go under, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a breaking from your past. It's a, it's a step forward. And so the conviction leads to repentance. It leads to a public display. And many of you have seen certain YouTube videos of comical Baptism experiences. And some of you were baptized. It may have been uh, interesting. Some of you were baptized outside, some inside, some in a swimming pool, some in a lake, some in a creek, uh, many uh, right here. And we've been able to see this. But there was a a pastor. He had led a a, a gentleman to the Lord, and they were going to be baptizing that morning. So he gets him up in the baptismal pool. Baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, lowers him under, pulls him up, and his his cigarettes go floating off a little bit. And uh, the pastor said, uh, uh, man, that your cigarettes, he, you know that wasn't his. So he said, That's there's your cigarettes, and the guy said, No, they're not mine. And he's saying, Oh, he's already lying and uh just baptizing. And uh he he said they got to be yours. They're not mine. He said they're not mine. Well, whose are they? They're that man that you just buried. They belong to him. And uh, not that cigarettes is the ultimate sin, but but uh, but you know uh, the the breaking with the past and and baptism is such a, a great thing. And so some of you need to find. You know you do. You know you do. You you just. Point and and think, well, that's for kids or uh, students. No, no, no. Those three thousand that were baptized that day, let me tell you, it wasn't all kids. It wasn't all kids. So, the third thing that I want you to write down is the gift. The gift. Notice what Peter says. He says, uh, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we sometimes make the Holy Spirit so mystical, we miss a lot of the truth of who He is. But I want you to know how the Holy Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, how He is involved in your salvation. Number one... He makes sure they hear the correct truth. You see, there's false teaching all out there, and it abounds today, especially things that are addressing your feelings, or if you come to Jesus, you will get X, Y, Z, or these kind of things. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit will make sure you hear the truth. And not only hear the truth, but the Holy Spirit brings that conviction and hunger in your spirit. He's the one that cuts you to the heart. You cannot even come to Christ without the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. And and oftentimes, many people say, well, I just want to come to Jesus so that I don't go to hell. Let me tell you, there's many people that have decided to follow Jesus because they didn't want to go to hell, but I'll tell you, they ended up in hell with a false security because they weren't willing to deal with the sin in their own life. He brings the breakthrough that you need. And sometimes we are guilty, and I've prayed the prayer with many people. We are guilty of pulling people out of the fire too quick before they come to a cutting of the heart that they need to come to Christ. And if they do not go through the conviction of the sin and their brokenness and their separation from God, it's just a matter of time before somebody talks them out of it because they were talked into it. Charles Finney, the great revivalist, before he came to Christ, as an adult, he was an attorney in New York. And he he came under conviction of the Holy Spirit. And and the Holy Spirit was just convicting him of the sin in his life. But he knew he needed to wrestle with God through this. So one day he went to a grove of trees and he stayed there all day like Jacob wrestling with God. And he wrestled with God all day. And then at the end of the day, he felt like he finally had the breakthrough of dealing with the sin in his life. Well, Mark, are you saying just walking the aisle isn't enough? I'm telling you, if you're not under conviction that your sin has separated you from God, I got to question whether you have really understand what it means to embrace Jesus as your Savior. And I don't say that to make you doubt. I say that to make you assured of what salvation is. And then the Holy Spirit seals that truth that you have forgiveness and salvation. And then he empowers and enables you to live the new creation life. The Christian butterfly, so to speak. So he enables and empowers you to do that. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And then number four, the promise. Notice in verse 39, he says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The promise. What is this promise? The promise is salvation. The promise is forgiveness. The promise is a relationship and a restoration, a reconciliation with the Holy God. And that happens through Jesus. But who's the promise for? He says, first of all, the promise is for you. And then the promise is for your children or your family. And I love reading the stories in the book of Acts. A couple of them stick out to me. Number one is the Philippian jailer where uh, Paul goes to Philippi and they're arrested. He and Silas are arrested. And they're in jail. They're singing hymns at midnight. The earthquake comes to release them. The jailer's going to kill himself. What must I do to be saved? And they share the gospel with him. And the scripture says that he was—he and his whole house were baptized that night. In other words, you got the man. You got the family. That ought to be convicting. Got the man. Got the family. Another one was Cornelius, and uh, Peter, Simon Peter went to Cornelius' house. He was the first Gentile convert. He responds to the gospel, and the scripture says in Caesarea that not only Cornelius, but his whole household came to faith. So the promise is for you, it's for your family, and then uh, thirdly, he says it's for those who are far off. Well, who's the far off one? Uh, that's the Gentiles. He was speaking to the house of Israel, it says in verse 36, and the far off ones were the Gentiles. And that's you and me. We are the Gentiles. We were grafted in, and the Holy Spirit came to us as well. And then notice what else he says. He says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, the future. So it's for you, it's, For your family, it's for those far off, it's for those in the future, which is us. You ever wonder if you're in the Bible? You're there. If you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Lord has called you in himself, it says everyone, that leads me to think there's 7 billion people on this planet, everyone can respond to the gospel. And that is for us. You want to know you're in the Bible? You're right there in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. The one the Lord has called to himself. Everyone has the choice to receive the promise. Last point, the results. The results. Notice what it says in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized... And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Oh. Can God still do that today? Are, are, are we so hardened as a nation? I, I want to believe that God can do it and He will do it. Can you imagine baptizing 3,000 people? I bet, I bet every pool in Jerusalem was, was packed with people. What are you doing? Uh, we're baptizing man that's what happened and the results were that three thousand received the word and three thousand were saved can you imagine you know we're we're making sure that you um, you serve the body of Christ whether in our children or students or or whatever you know Chris did the interview last week I. 3,000 souls, man. Can you imagine the nursery workers they needed to have all of a sudden? I mean, this, people wonder uh, when did uh, things get overcrowded? From day one, man, when 3,000 souls were saved. That was the result. So you have the facts, you have the conviction of the facts. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have the promise that it's for you and for your family and for those far off and for those in the future. And the results are that lives are transformed. We baptized about 40 people last year. And we rejoice in 40 people. But you know, I just believe God wants to do more. I, I really believe he wants to do more. And some of you are here today and you're thinking, okay, Mark, I need to respond to be baptized. Pastor Allen ran a class the last two Sundays on, on uh, baptism, and we're going to be baptizing next week. But let me tell you something. You come let us know. We'll talk to you. We'll work it out for you to be baptized next Sunday. I would love to not be able to preach next Sunday because we're baptizing so many. Just people getting right with God and being obedient. I end with this. COVID-19, right? We we detested it. We don't want to hear it anymore. COVID-19, because of the 19, it came in 2019 is when it started. I'm not into conspiracy theory, but we do know that COVID-19 started in Wuhan, China. Some guy got the sniffles, and the next thing you know, the world has a pandemic. And, And it destroyed many lives that affected our whole nation. And I hate, I do not want to ever go through that again. But it makes me think about how can we become contagious followers of Jesus. That we are so contagious that 3,000 at once may come to Christ. That we affect 7 billion people on this planet. God, make us contagious. Make us contagious.